to the Game Audio Hour, a fortnightly podcast where we discuss all things game audio. From creative ideas to the latest techniques, project experiences to audio secrets, here is where you'll find in-depth coverage and opinions related to game audio. This is episode 246. I am not in my typical room, so you might be hearing a little bit more room noise. I'm not in that box that is filled with foam and bass traps and all that stuff. So um, it's probably going to be a little bit more reflective. But even besides that, I am Vince Diamante hanging out over here with you guys from good old sunny Southern California. Over there on the other end, not exactly the opposite side of the world as he so nicely pointed out to us a couple episodes ago. No, that's Alex. Alex, how are you doing over there in Sweden? I'm doing very well, thanks, Vince. It's actually a public holiday here today. It's the celebration of midsummer. So I've just, I've literally just, well, I guess 30 minutes ago, uh, came home from a uh, friend's party, which was about, uh, I must have been about 30 people there. And we, we counted, we had 13 nationalities, which is, which is a beautiful thing. Uh, you know, there was Thailand, or obviously Sweden, and there was Thailand, Australia, Japan, Philippines, Palestine, uh, Lebanon, Italy, wow. uh, Serbia, Ukraine. Uh, I can't remember the rest of them, but anyway, it was a, it was a good time, and we uh, did all the the uh, required traditional things for the Swedish midsummer, which is uh, the the women put wreaths of flowers in their hair, and we take off our shirts and dance around a flaming pole and sacrifice goats and uh, drink the blood and and um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Bits and pieces of this may or may not be slightly exaggerated, but I'll let you uh, choose which bits you you want to be true out of those. (laughs) Okay. um, Well, well, like, I got to ask. First of all, were there actually uh, grilled goats over there? Was that, were you partaking in any uh, fun edibles or, not edibles, uh, fun foodstuffs there? Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, uh, yeah, I sent you uh, some pictures. Actually, that was a wild boar that was uh, uh, hunted Ooh. four day four days ago in the forest, and um, uh, they yeah they they smoked it and then put this massive uh, skewer through the middle of it, and it's they they had to cut the head off because the bullet went through the head. So apparently, you you cut the head off, uh-huh. and then they basically put this huge skewer through it, and they have this. Uh, um, kind of like two welded metal barrels stuck together with a bunch of coals. And the guy said that they'd been roasting it, slow roasting it like that over coals for the for the entire day. <laughs> and so, uh, um, yeah, and, and they marinated in this, uh, this concoction of red wine, rosemary, thyme, honey, chili, and tomato. And over this kind of spit, uh, co- the, this coal fire. Uh, and then, yeah. Uh, when it re- apparently when it reaches 63 degrees Celsius, that's when it is good to eat. So they have this kind of special skewer that they stick in to measure the temperature. And it was, it was uh, absolutely glorious. It's like a simple, simple rustic food. I mean, you can't get much more rustic than a, than, <laughs> than a wild forest boar that's been hunted a few days ago, smoked and then roast on a pit all day, can you? Oh, I, I, I really want to try that. I, I, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I've had wild boar in the past, but certainly not something where I know exactly what happened to it. Um, and it was fashioned in this manner. That sounds so yeah. darn exciting as well as tasty. Yeah, it was great. And it's also, it's nice for my children too, because obviously we went as a family and it's, it, I think it's really important, you know, to appreciate food. And I know this is Game Audio Hour and we're going to go into Game Audio in a moment, but, you know, uh, not to be get preachy or anything, but I think it's really important to appreciate food and especially meat. It's really important for children to understand where it comes from and the fact that, you know, an animal has died so that we can have the meat. So therefore, seeing the animal literally right there roasting, um, I, I think it was really good for my children to see, oh, wow, so this this is, yes, that's right. You know, it's pork comes from a pig and it's an animal and we should really appreciate it and be thankful for it and uh, not take it for granted. So, mm. yeah, they had a really good time. And, yeah, that's, of course, uh, before the actual flavor, which was, which was kind of spectacularly simple you know just very basic and and rustic so anyway let's uh move on from midsummer festivities and uh talk about some game audio shall we okay yeah that sounds great so, so the the um last week uh, as of the recording of this show uh, apple had their big wwdc keynote where they uh, made a whole bunch of exciting announcements of hardware and of course there's the apple vision pro and um uh, or the iPhone and iWatch and all that kind of stuff. And in amongst that was an announcement for Apple's new uh, super-duper mega-powerful flagship, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, work, yeah, new workstations. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Pro a workstation, that's the word I'm looking for. And um, <laughs> was, I was quite amused because uh, I believe during the actual WWDC, didn't you actually place an order for one of those right there? Yeah, I did it. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, so, that, <laughs> yeah, um, please, we have just, a just before. Hold on, before you go on, please tell me that that wasn't like an impulse, spontaneous buy. It's like, oh my god, I got to get that. Whatever it is, like seven thousand dollars later, I got it. it. It wasn't an impulse buy, right? It was not an impulse buy. Um, I did, in fact, have budget allocated well beforehand, and I've been thinking about this move for a while. So, you know, just to put it in some more context, uh, I've been a PC guy for my, basically my career. Uh, I've, I've mm. learned how to use Macs over the years, but I never used them as my music production machines. And um, mm. I've had this computer for a few years now. It's served me pretty well. But I've always been a little bit annoyed by it. It could be Windows shenanigans. It could be software. It could be... The fact that uh, I felt like I was always pushing the hardware a little bit more than it really wanted to go, even uh. though as of this moment, it's got the best processor and the most memory that this computer motherboard can actually support right now. Right. Um, I, right. You know, I give it you know, fast SSDs. I try to optimize. I And... I still feel like I'm at the limits of it. And I actually I actually remember when you put that together. I remember we recorded a show. I guess yeah, it would have been like three or four years ago. We recorded a show and I remember you talking about building that very PC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I it seemed like a, a good thing. And it for the most part, it has really been a good workhorse of a machine. It's mm. uh I guess I started putting this one together right around 2019, so I guess four years or so. 
Mm. Um, and in that time, I've upgraded the processor, but otherwise, oh, upgraded the processor and add some more SSDs to it. But otherwise, it's been that machine. Mm. And still, I can't help but longingly look at other composers' setups, especially Mac setups, where it seems mm. like the things they want to do just seem to work in a far more effortless way than the way that I've been able to make those things happen. So okay. for a while now, I decided, well, I can't upgrade this machine further, so I'm going to go and upgrade to a brand new machine, and in fact, I will make the jump to a big Mac workstation, whatever that's going to be. And then wow. Apple okay. does the WWDC earlier this month, and yes, I put it in order that day. It was a big question of whether I do the Mac Studio or the Mac Pro, which is the big tower configuration. They're basically the same in terms of CPU performance. I decided to spend the extra money and get the Pro because I really wanted to have all of my stuff internal on the machine, all my SSDs right. instead of working over USB and Thunderbolt and all that. So I think that's a good decision because, you know, in this day and age, I mean, especially for your your job, I mean, it's entirely 100% revolving around a good computer and, you know, they, they become obsolete so quickly. So you, you may as well just, because it's for your job, it's not like a luxury purchase. You may as well just go all out and get the best that you can afford and, you know, make the best use of it, especially, I mean, you... you got to grind away on it every single day. So, you know, you may as well, you may as well, uh, um, uh, you know, invest, not, not so much invest, but like put the money to a good place like that. So yeah. I think that's a good decision. Yeah, I think so too. But it is, uh, I mean, there is investing money, but then there is also investing time. I've had yeah. MacBook Pros over the years, and I know how to use it for basic computing tasks, which are really simple since most things these days are, are web apps, right? I've mm, been using right. Google Drive for all of my basic office stuff for a long time and, and, and you know the basics of file systems and setting up a network and all that. I get that. Mm. But uh, the music world is a little bit weird. It's just... In many ways, it's simpler, but it but just the fact that it's different has made me struggle a bit when it comes to getting things up to speed. It's it's a little okay. bit annoying. Um, so, for example, MIDI. I have these pieces of MIDI gear. You know, I've got my MIDI keyboards. I've got iPads that I'm using as MIDI input devices. I've got uh, MIDI like fader controllers. I, I've got EVs my EWIs. My well. I've got my pedals. And um, for the longest time, I've worked on uh, on Windows where I need a couple of different bits of software in order to make those things work, like mm. installing RTP MIDI for Windows in order to accommodate wireless MIDI. And uh, I have a fancy MIDI interface that has its own software. And now Mac has it all handled, built in. You can sort of do all the MIDI routing just uh, in the operating system, which seems simpler but also weirds me out and somehow even though it's simpler i'm not as fast and adept at working these mini devices the way that i used to be it's okay it's just weird things like that um uh what else being annoyed about certain pieces of pc software that i cannot use anymore 
So yeah, I've, so I was I was going to ask like um obviously if you're if you're because you use Reaper right? Oh yeah, yeah. Reaper is my yeah. DAO of choice. So like um in terms of if you're working on projects where you need to be using for example like uh, uh, Unity in the Windows or uh, Unreal in Windows or you know Wise or FMOD or stuff like that um, and you're targeting. Uh, like a, a PC game or targeting something that's going to be built on uh, in Unity under Windows, uh, do, do you run those under Bootcamp or something, or how does that work? Ooh, well, actually, I don't. Um, um, right now, I'm I am working on a couple of Unity projects, but mm. they actually are working in Unity in silicon. It totally oh, okay. works native on, on the Apple M1 M2 processors, and actually, a couple okay. months back. I, I finally decided to do it. I would move some of my Unity dev onto my MacBook Pro, and it works oh, okay. fine. I, I don't have to wow. boot camp. It, it it really works well. Great. That's um, that's nice actually. I, I would absolutely I, um, just as a as if I can just interject uh, my own little story here. I, I would absolutely love to transition. I'll go back to Mac because I always used to use Mac, and I have I have a PC. Uh, and then I have um, a MacBook Air, and I basically do all of my business work on my MacBook Air, and all of production work, music production, uh, and all the stuff in Wise I do on the PC. And uh, I mean, for business work, personally, as my own personal feelings about it, you, you mm -hmm. just can't beat Apple's operating system for business work. You know, the way that your phone integrates with Apple Mail, which integrates with all of Apple's other in the, I hate using this word, but the ecosystem. <laughs> um, it is. The way that it all true. integrates together. Yeah. You know, I, I just love being able, because I, I really like Apple's mail um, software for handling emails. And obviously email is a massive part of doing business. And mm -hmm. I just love being able to, you know, open up a new email and then hit scan document and my phone turns on and I can just scan something straight to PDF, pop, there it is. It appears on in the email on the computer. I mean, I just love that. And um, for business work, quick look, you know, where you can just tap the space bar and you can just preview any uh, file. Yeah. It's just unbeatable for business work. You know, if somebody sends you a spreadsheet, you can just quickly tap and check that you've got the right one that you need, or it's a PDF there. You can just quickly tap it. You don't need to open Acrobat or any fancy stuff like that. You can just do it all within there. And I think, um, you just can't, can't beat Apple, uh, OS for, um, uh, for business work. But then on the other hand, uh, if you're, Mm -hmm. uh, needing to preview VR stuff in Unity, then obviously you need to do that uh, tethered. We we use I use like an Oculus, uh, sorry, a Meta Quest Two tethered to the PC to run stuff inside Unity in VR. So all of that kind of necessitates having a PC for that. But mm -hmm. in yeah, I mean, it's that's interesting that uh, in your case at least you you actually finding that you don't need the PC at all anymore. Yeah, it seems to be the case, um, at least with this dev stuff. There are some weird things that I've been struggling with uh, where I've just been on a couple of calls with other people, whether it be um, like producers and programmers on some of these other game dev teams that I'm on. Hey, what do I do? Because I think I know Git. I'm pretty sure I know Git on PC. Why is why are these things not working on my Mac the way that I expect it to? And mm. went th went through a, a whole a whole big kerfuffle of uh, things like Apple Keychain shenanigans and oh, okay. oh, uh, what's going on here? And okay, let's right. try 
um, you know, instead of installing it this way, do it through, let's try installing through Homebrew and then, okay, learning more command line interface stuff in Mac. Right. It's like, okay. Right, right. Um, it was a little bit less than, it was a little bit more complicated than I expected. You know, going into right. Mac, I think, right, Mac is the simpler way to do things. It's the easier way to do things. That was not the case with no, some I mean, of these, with some of these things. Yeah, I mean it's it's that's the thing. I mean the the um yeah, obviously Mac has a reputation for being very well designed and everything integrates well with itself and all of that. Uh I mean at the end of the day, Mac or PC, they they're both going to have their niggles and they're gonna, yeah. they're going to have their advantages and drawbacks and in the end of the day, you know, of course people love to well, actually, I really don't know if people still do that, but the whole Mac versus PC thing, which was which was very big in the past, I actually don't really know that anybody cares that much anymore about whether it's Mac or PC, like whatever floats your boat. Uh, and nowadays, as you said, so much of what we do is based inside a browser. It, it really doesn't matter anymore what you prefer. But anyway, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, there are obviously going to be certain complexities and frustrations with Mac OS, just like there are with Windows. They're just in different places, I guess. Yeah, but... You know, since I decided I'm going to work on this new machine, um, uh, the TLDR is I'm still not quite working on the new machine yet. Not quite. Um, <laughs> but, but I actually do have the Unity side set up, which is really okay. cool. Um, so ironically, I have my dev actually working on the Mac, and all of my audio stuff is still hooked up to my PC. I'm still a little bit scared of just moving that Thunderbolt cable over to there, and (laughs) just I'm just a little anxious about it. That's that's a big move for me. So what are you going to do about um, project compatibility? Because are you going to be basically installing all of your plugins on the Mac as VST3, and then if you're opening a Reaper project that was saved on the PC, with all plugins as VST3, will it just open as is in Reaper on the Mac? That is the hope. <laughs> okay. That is okay. what I'm really anxious about. I'm, I'm like, right. Well, first of all, the way that I've always treated things in the past is I would keep my old machines around. And okay. uh, even as recently as, yeah, actually four four weeks ago, I had to boot up my old PC which was uh, what I was using for day-to-day dev back in 2012. Oh, and wow, okay. uh, I just have this around where I can turn it on. I actually VNC into the machine. So I just uh, log into it over the network so that I can go into Windows 7 and open up <laughs> Cakewalk Sonar and actually do things like, oh, let me export the MIDI for this particular project file, or let me re-render this thing with uh, some of these effects off and see what happens. Uh, I, so I do keep these old machines around because you never know what might need to happen. Uh, mm. But um, otherwise, I do hope that I could have some sort of cross-compatibility there. Like for the last year or so, I have been dealing mostly with VST3s. I don't think I've been using anything that's been PC-only for many years now. Um, right. Really, the biggest thing that is PC-only is my um, is the fact that I rely so much on SoundForge for my okay. final check of sound effects. And, right, right. You know, SoundForge, uh, I've used that thing for literally more than two decades. I was first exposed wow. to SoundForge back in the SoundForge 4 
I think Soundforge 4.0 days. Uh, right. And, um, you know, I saw it when I was in high school. Uh, somehow, um, I'll, I'll let you guess what that means. Somehow it was installed on my high school's computer. <laughs> And right. I was able to play around with it and build up some acumen. And I kept on using that uh, through my college years and into my professional years. It's, I mean, it's still a, a mainstay of a tool. That is a Windows-only application. It Right. So what are you going to do on the Mac? Well, I just got WaveLab because okay. you know, that, that's Steinberg's that's, uh, product. Steinberg, yeah, Steinberg, right. It, it happened to be on sale. And I figured, hey, yeah, this is a... This is as good a time as any to get it, considering it's on a good sale. Um, right. Is it still on sale now? Let me do a quick check. I think it might be. If it is, I might, I might actually look at it, actually, because, yeah, I've, I've had a bit of a... I used to subscribe to Adobe Creative Cloud for a bunch of other stuff, and with that, you get Adobe Audition. And um, for the longest time, I was using Adobe Audition, and I hated it. <laughs> just, oh, Adobe Audition it's, is... It's clunky. Yeah, it's I mean, there, there are some, yeah, it's clunky. The, the, there are some things that are fairly efficient in Audition that you can do quite quickly, mm-hmm. but it's just um, the, the interface, oh, I just couldn't, couldn't love it. You know, it's just like, I don't know, it's just too modular, too flexible somehow, you know. So, you know, when you have software that's just a little bit too, trying too hard to be everything to everyone. Right. And, you, you know, and um, uh, for me, Adobe Audition, Adobe Audition sort of fell into that hole. So, I picked up um, Acoustica by Acon Digital. If oh, you've okay. heard of, yeah. uh, have you heard of that one? And um, uh, Acoustica is really nice because it's very, very light. You know, it boots up extremely quickly, and that's kind of what you want for a for a sample editor. You know, you just want to quick check something, boot it up, bang, there we go. You know, drag in the file, okay, check, yep, good. Maybe fade out the fade out the end, chop off the, you know, um, tighten up the head maybe normalize it yeah. or something and then save and close. You want to be in and out quick and Acoustica is really good for that. But uh, there are a few things about the interface design with Acoustica that are a little bit, you know, ah, uh, you know, why did they do it this way? This isn't really a very smart way to, to design it. So mm-hmm. um, I've sort of been considering Acon Digital's Acoustica as sort of like a temporary stopgap until I find my next, you know, home as far as the sample editor goes. So. As, as I use Cubase um, pretty extensively alongside uh, Renoise for music and then also Reaper for sound effects, um, I've been, yeah, obviously with, with one Steinberg product on my machine, I'm all sort of looking at WaveLab thinking, hmm, WaveLab, yeah, I wonder what that's like. Mm, well, unfortunately, it is not on sale anymore. I think it was oh, on sale okay. sort of coinciding with, um, well, I mean, it, it was Father's Day actually just okay. this past weekend, and I think it might have... Right might have finished up that sale right over the weekend. So that's unfortunate. Okay. So how um how sort of snappy and quick is WaveLab? Because one thing about Steinberg, which I or Cubase at least, which I really don't don't enjoy, especially when I'm used to when my two other DAWs are Reaper and Renoise, both mm. of which start up in under about, I don't know, one or two seconds, you know, double click, there you go, you're in, you're ready to go. Right, uh, right. That's one thing I really, really love about uh, both of those programs because, uh, yeah, I don't know, it's just like, you know, okay, it's time to do music. You just want to get in there fast. Let's go, let's do it. You know, you don't want to sort of sit there looking at the logo and waiting, oh, now it's reading reading my plugin library, even though nothing's changes. Why do you have to do that every time you boot up? Ugh, which is a very Cubase thing, you know? Right. And then, uh, so w- with WaveLab, have you noticed that it takes quite some time to start up or is it pretty snappy? 
Um, Wave Lab seems pretty good. Um, I would say it's not quite as fast as SoundForge, actually. Uh, okay, okay. But maybe that's just a matter of me not setting it up quite right or not anticipating certain things that it does. It, but um, mm. it feels pretty good. Um, okay. I actually had some Cubase experience back in the early 2000s. So, uh, you know, there were some things I just remember how to do there. And in terms of moving mm. around, um, it feels consistent with my memories of Cubase as few and far between as they were. Um, okay. But it, it seems nice so far. It seems like a nice, strong, strong program. I can do the basic stuff that I want to do. I need to figure out more about how to do some of the more complex things when I, you know, mm. things like... You know, setting up plugin chains that were equivalent to the plugin chains that I had in SoundForge and, and stuff. Cool. But, but, you know, that will come with time. It seems really cool so far. Oh, that's good. You know, hey, while we're on the topic of um, of discounted software, um, I I hope that it's still on sale right now. I, I guess maybe I could I could check, but I can't really concentrate on my phone and talking into this microphone at the same time. So, um, uh, I picked up on sale a few days ago. Uh, Claro by Sonox. Huh. Claro is a, it's a digital EQ. It's basically in the same space as like, you know, you've got your Pro Q3 and uh, um, uh, there's just loads of them now. It's just sort of plain and simple digital EQ, right? Like you've got the spectrum analyzer and you've got your graph there and uh, you've got your sort of, um, uh, what do you call it, line there in the middle and you double click to create a node, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's made by Sonox. Uh, which is uh, a, yeah, Sonox has got quite a heritage now, haven't they? They've been around right since the early days of of VST plugins, if I'm if I'm yeah. not wrong. Um, and Claro, Claro, I guess it's Clarity, so therefore Claro, I suppose, um, is their digital EQ that they released a few years ago now. And um, I picked it up on sale. It was on sale for, I think, 35 US dollars. Down from, I think it's down from a hundred dollars. Okay. Um, so I thought, ah, may as well, may as well pick it up. Um, yeah, we're not going to. Well, it's too late now, I suppose. But I don't want to get too much into tools and software in this episode because we're always talking about tools and software. And <laughs> maybe some of our listeners are drumming their fingers on the table right now, thinking, "Come on, guys, let's move on." But anyway, uh, just just as a comment on this, I'm not a big fan of FabFilter Pro Q3. Which is a kind of a controversial thing to say because hot it is take, the, hot take. Is a, that's right. The mic drops. It's a um, it's a very much a you know industry standard uh, mainstay of digital EQ. You know, if you're not going to be using the EQ that's built into your DAW, chances are you're probably using FabFilter Pro Q3. And I don't know. This I, I I appreciate everything that everybody loves about it, and I've used it extensively over the past few years. Actually, I've used it since Pro Q two, um, and uh, you know it's all over all of my projects. Hmm. But there's something about it that I just really don't enjoy. I, I think the interface methodology, or just the whole whole uh, kind of um, uh, thought process into the UX of Pro Pro Q just doesn't do it for me like the all of the fab filter plugins which i use extensively i also use and love volcano and saturn mm. um all of them just there's something about the way that the interface is conceived that just doesn't click with me it's like i don't find it that intuitive for example in pro q3 i i really don't like the choice that they have made to have this 
floating uh, window, you know, you, when you create a node, mm -hmm. underneath that node on the bottom of the display is this floating window that shows you, you know, your your um, band size and your gain and the, the frequency. And that's where you have all the controls for making it a dynamic EQ or a sideband EQ or whatever. It's this floating window that pops up underneath the node uh, on the graph, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's That's exactly where I want to see my spectrum analyzer, the full vertical mm. detail. That's where I want to see it is where I'm the node that I have selected. You know, I want to see if there's a resonant peak there or if, if what's going on there, I want to see exactly. And that's exactly where the modal window pops up. And it's kind of like, you know, I mean, yeah, personally for me, it's like, I, I understand it's logical. You click on the node, you get the, all the controls appear underneath it. Sure. But it's like, Guys, come on, that's exactly where I need to see all of the vertical information on the spectrum analyzer. And I cannot because I have this big window floating there and there's no other way to use Pro-Q3. It's always there. You can't turn it off. You can't minimize it. You know, you can change the size of the whole window, but the only way to get enough resolution on the spectrum analyzer vertically is to have like a full screen Pro-Q3, which is, mm -hmm. you know, obviously not ideal for obvious reasons. Anyway, so I've never really been a huge fan uh, and I've also used uh, Plugin Alliance's um, Brainworks BX Digital a lot, which I like because uh, everything's just on this bunch of knobs, but everything's on the one screen. And of course, SSL's, um, what's it called? XEQ2, mm -hmm. which is their um, digital EQ. Anyway, so Sonox Claro. Yeah, Vince, I think I found my new favorite digital EQ. This one oh, wow. is great. It's <laughs> great. So Sonox basically takes a different approach. They're basically, their whole um, uh, kind of philosophy with this plugin is that, okay, a digital EQ is a digital EQ. Why would you choose our product over industry standards like Pro-Q3 or even just the, the uh, EQ that's built into your DAW, which is gonna sound exactly the same? Why would you choose this? What can we do about the workflow in this product to make it more desirable and faster and more efficient to any of these other options. So the way that Claro has has solved this, basically there's there's three tabs to Claro. Um, there's, I can't even remember what they're called now, but there's three tabs. Well, the first one is like a very, very stripped down version of the same EQ where you basically have three bands that are three kind of um, drag up and down they're not knobs, but they're, they're sort of, uh, there's like a low, mid and high, basically. And you, this is a parametric EQ. You drag them up and down to adjust how much gain. And then on top of that is the slider, which will allow you to adjust the frequency for each one of these three bands. And you've got a little display there that will show you um, uh, sonic energy in this across the spectrum, as opposed to a spectrum analyzer. Anyway, the whole point of this is that when you are kind of just wanting to do broad strokes, just sculpting a sound as fast as you can, don't think too much about the details, just get in there. Okay, I need more bass, add more bass. You know, and it, this is too trebly, reduce the treble. Just quick moves like that. Mm -hmm. Then you use this first tab. The second tab uh, takes everything that you do in the first tab and then puts it on a more traditional digital EQ style display on top of a spectrum analyzer. You have the curve there, you have the nodes, but mm. get this, Get this, Vince, it's amazing. Uh, I think it takes a leaf out of Isotope's book 
in that when you create a node, if you narrow the queue of that band, then the spectrum analyzer in the background will become the, the band size will, uh, no, sorry, the block size will increase on the spectrum analyzer. So it will become finer and you see more detail. And then if you widen the queue, then it will become much more smooth and much more kind of um, uh, uh, basic. So the idea is that, okay, when you're using a wide band uh, EQ, that's because you want, again, you know, you want it to be a bit more musical. You want broad strokes. You don't care so much about the fine details of the spectrum analyzer. Mm -hmm. You want a very approximate, smoothed out view of it. However, when you are, when you want that detail, when you're going narrow cues, very, very narrow bands, that's because you're doing surgical work and you want that detail in the spectrum analyzer. So as you scroll the queue to be more narrow, the spectrum analyzer block size increases and it becomes much more detailed. And then the best part is that when you get right to the very, very sort of notch shaped, um, uh, really tiny narrow queue, band, uh, queue for the bands, mm -hmm. then if you look at the spectrum analyzer, similar to some of the isotope products, you start to see these faint columns of uh, lights that appear in the spectrum analyzer, and those are actually resonant peaks. Hmm. So it's brilliant. So it's it's it saves you know the whole process of list like scrolling through a um, like soloing a band and scrolling through the whole spectrum trying to find resonant peaks is made so much simpler because you can just see them. And uh, yeah, I, I won't I won't go on any further. You, you know, anyone who's interested can go and check out Sonox's website because it's all okay. it's all on there on the product page, but that's that's only half of it. There's a whole other aspect to the the third tab, third tab, and there's also interesting uh, kind of um, terminology that's used to describe each segment of the frequency spectrum. For example, like muddy versus warm, and you know um, boxy versus clarity, and mm -hmm. as in positive and negative descriptors for the same frequency band, uh, just to help you move quickly. Anyway, so. It's right. really good. <laughs> it's well, really good. This sounds really interesting. And, you know, while you're talking about it, I just had to pull up the, the Sonox uh, website so I could see what you're talking about with those three tabs. It's, it, you know, now that I'm looking at it, I think, you know, what you're describing, even though I don't use this product, I feel like I'm trying to do things personally that kind of approximate what you have landed on with using this product. I just don't happen to use it. Um, right. Like the whole separation between making these sort of big sweeping moves as well as being able to identify things by seeing the spectrum as well as being able to tweak and, and add and make smaller moves as well and, and having that divide in there allowing you to actually do both of those things much more quickly um, yeah it's kind of what i'm getting there and like for yeah. me even though i'm using in my case uh i really like using the ssl stuff um so yep. much so that i decided that i would get the ssl uc1 controller mm, and uh, okay so what ends up happening is that i am basically using this one plugin that doesn't look at all like Sonox Claro at all, but the way that I move from looking down at the controller and manipulating knobs to do these sort of big sweeping moves 
and then looking up and using my mouse on the plugin interface to do tighter moves. Um, I think that kind of, you know, a totally different thing, but I think very, but I think um, maybe a very different thing, but sort of similar spiritually to what you're getting at using this plugin. Yeah. And the other, um, in, in terms of sound, it's it's a digital EQ. It sounds like any other digital EQ. You can go to um, gearspace.com, the formerly known as gearsluts.com. And there's like a, I don't know, it's like a 25 page forum post on there about Sonox Claro and about how <laughs> it actually, you know, the top end is a bit softer than, than Pro-Q3 and like, no, come on guys, it's a digital EQ. It sounds like a digital EQ. However, technologically, aside from the UX, there is one aspect of Claro, which I would say is actually better than Pro-Q3 and that is the auto gain setting. So yes. I, th I think that, that FabFilter uh, Pro-Q3 also has an auto gain setting, but it's not quite as good as Claro. So basically auto gain setting means that, you know, if you, mm -hmm. if you add a band um, and then you boost that band, obviously what you're doing is you're making one part of the freq frequency spectrum louder so, so that you don't get fooled by the fact that it's louder, therefore it's better. Um, the auto gain will actually lower the overall output gain of the plugin when you've got bands that are boosting by a certain amount. So um, it's on by default with Claro and it's, it's, it's really good. The auto gain algorithm um, really, really works uh, very, very transparently in such a way that like using this as an EQ feels totally different hmm. because you know, you'll grab a mid-range band, you'll boost it, but it won't make the sound kind of quote better because it's louder. It, it actually just, you feel like it's all it is doing is just changing the character of the sound, but it is leaving the overall output exactly the same. Hmm. So as a mixing tool, I find when I'm mixing one of the, 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 the annoying parts when I'm mixing and I put on an EQ, you know, uh, if I'm mixing a part, not soloed, so I can hear it in the context of everything else and I'm mixing a channel, you know, if, I, if I'm boosting the mids, then I'll often find, oh, okay, I boost the mids. Now I've got to go to my channel fader and actually reduce the Deal output volume, yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's, it's, it's boosting the mids is boosting the volume and therefore it is actually changing the balance of my mix. Right. Um, on Friday, I was uh, mixing this massive, massive um, song that I was doing for, uh, for this game project that we're working on. It's a nine and a half minute song and Whoa. nine and a half minutes... It's got a whole bunch of other, a whole lot of sections in it, and it's quite, it's quite meaty. There's a lot of stuff in there, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I was dreading doing that because I knew that if I'm boosting, if I'm EQing to change the character of a sound, and I'm boosting a certain frequency, it's it may sound it, it'll cause this channel to be louder by an amount that I'm not going to be sure about, which is going to change the balance of the part across this nine and a half minute track. Mm -hmm. But yeah, with Claro. It's great. I can just slap it on there, and I can start adjusting bands. And the actual, I'm watching the, the the meters and the output from the plugin. Uh, sorry, the output on the channel with this auto gain setting is not changing at all, even though the character of the sound is totally changing entirely as I, uh, you know, adjust the frequency bands. Right. So, I'm pretty sure that Pro Q3 also has an auto gain setting, uh, but it's off by default and. Mm. I don't remember it as being as good as this one. So hmm. yeah, that is one one aspect where even though it sounds the same as a digital EQ because it's on by default and the expectation is it, it's all about philosophy. Like 
how do you approach mixing? Do you approach it, you know, and basically, I guess Sonox is um, thought and intention with this is like, okay, just like you, Vince, you know, this is how we tend to use EQs when we're mixing. We mm -hmm. tend to do broad strokes in this way, and then we tend to find surgical work in this way, and we tend to have to go to our channel output and reduce or increase the gain depending on our moves in the EQ. And they basically made a list and then sort of done all of that for us in the in the one product so you don't have to do anything. So, yeah, yeah. I, I was uh, really, really enjoying it. That's that's really cool. I is it actually is it still on sale? It looks like it it's sale? on sale, and um, I mean that's actually a good price there for what seems like a really neat tool. It is still twenty five buck. Well, it says twenty four seventy five pounds because these dudes are Brits, which is okay. Yeah. I'm not going to hold that against them. Um, but <laughs> yeah, they have this big seventy five percent off sale on various items. Not everything, but um. I think all the rest still, even if it's not 75% off, it's 50% off. So big right. sale running through July 11th. Okay. Oh, you've got the date there too. So July 11th, oh, that's like a whole, uh, uh, what is that, three or four weeks away. So we've got plenty of time to get it. So anyway, yes, I would highly recommend getting a demo of Claro. Don't expect it to sound amazing, but just have a look at that workflow. And, and potentially it might work really well for you because I'm finding myself... It's like, wow, the only thing that it doesn't have that Pro-Q3 does have is dynamic EQ. Because mm -hmm. uh, I believe, yeah, Sonox has a whole different product for handling dynamic EQ. This one is just, bare, you know, straight up regular EQ, but everything else that Pro-Q3 can do other than dynamic EQ, uh, it can do with the added addition of these extra features that they've added to uh, assist in the workflow. Yeah, that looks really cool. Uh this workflow stuff is really, it really is so important. I've, I've, I've been thinking about that when it comes to, you know, people on some of these channels that I'm on, you know, forums and discords, basically asking about, hey, what are the tools that people use? And what are, you know, what do people actually like? And what are the best things out there? And I remember that it was really late at night and I just said, uh, what do you want to do and how do you want to do things? <laughs> like, that's a really yeah. important question to answer. Like, you know, are there certain bits of muscle memory that you jive with? Are, are there th certain things that you want to do that uh, work with what you're currently doing or don't work with what you're currently doing? Is there a reason why you want new tools? I mean, it you really don't want to just get oh, this is the absolute best tool for the job, period, because that really doesn't matter. You know, it's how does it work for you and how do you want to use this tool? It could be an EQ. It could be really any tool or piece of software or a bit of hardware or whatever. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's interesting. It's timely that you bring that up, actually, because recently I was chatting with Mike about Sonox Claro, and Mike actually made that point. He said it's really fascinating now uh, we've gotten to the point with software tools that, you know, uh, a lot of these, um, whether it be a hardware emulation or whether it be a digital product that's that's only digital, that has a whole bunch of interesting functionality or whatever, or a creative tool, we've gotten to the point now where we're so spoilt for choice with a lot of these tools mm -hmm. that it's really fascinating, fascinating to see the software makers turn, such as the Sonox case, turning into the direction of workflow. It's like, okay, 
you know, our product is going to same the, sound the same as Pro Q3. It's going to sound the same as the the DAW, the EQ in your DAW. Mm-hmm. So what can we do to make to give it an edge? And it's coming down to workflow now. How how do you use it? How can we make this more efficient? How can we streamline some of those tasks that are cumbersome or repetitive or um, complex uh, that we do every day? How can we make them? We just shave off a little bit of time in using them. That ultimately, when you you know when you add up all of those little savings of time because the workflow is easier result in you know uh, a faster process overall over the over the time of a whole project um how can yeah. we improve there so as you said Vince there it's true that the uh in a lot of cases these tools will sound the same they'll sound just as good as each other now we've gotten to the point where you know it's quite rare to find a plugin that just sounds bad <laughs> you know it's like oh that just doesn't sound good at all it it's not you know not really the case and then as as we all know, but don't usually like to admit when it comes down to it, when somebody's playing your game and they're listening to your music, they're really not going to notice or care what EQ and what compressor and what DAW and what synth you used. It's all about, you know, your musical ideas, not about what tools that you're using. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we all, deep down in our hearts, we all know that, but we, the, uh, you know, the, the retail therapy loving side of ourselves hates to admit that. Myself, maybe I'm. Maybe I'm. I can't speak for everybody. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself there. And retail therapy <laughs> yeah. is the worst, though. Like uh, constantly spending money sucks. That that is a thing mm. that I wish I didn't really have to do. Um, right. Uh, but you also can't do the exact opposite. You can't be a, a total luddite and just no. sit down, especially when you're working in a very technological space like like we are. You know, it's very important for me as a game developer to have computers that work with the games that we're working on. Like um, yeah. one of the big reasons why I did this Mac move was it just happened that, Hey, guess what? All these unity projects work great in Silicon. You know, is this, mm. is this a harbinger or, you know, th- does this portend a, a move towards this very universal way of working on things and things mm. are just going to be better for gaming on the Mac in the, not just in the far future, but even in, in the now and the near future. So, mm. like, okay, cool. Yeah, this Mac is, I think, going to be a good part of my overall production workflow and philosophy for hopefully a good amount of time. I When I was talking with Mike, he said that his Mac Pro has been going basically straight since 2013, a solid 10 years. I'm wow. not sure that my machine will last 10 years, <laughs> but I will, I will be very happy if it lasts a solid five years, um, mm. you know, and I'll be even happier if it does a bit more than that. But all right, this is going to be it. It's it's not this. It's not just this box of processing power and uh, it, it's going to be something i'm going to have hopefully a good time bringing this into my whole production process and with me for the next few years of my career yeah and you know what i mean the other side of all of this you know we're talking about retail therapy and all of the temptations and just constantly buying new stuff and never learning the stuff that you have and all of that yeah it's it's all true but also, you know, I mean, I, I often feel for myself, you know, we've got to have fun as well, you know. And just like if you're a guitarist and, you know, you go into a music shop, I mean, you got all these new pedals there in the pedal cabinet. 
and you pick one and you try it. It's oh, what a cool sound! This is really great, and I love the graphics. I love how it looks, and it look, just looks so awesome. And I, you know, it sounds great. And yeah, I'll just buy it. You know, come on, um, it's fun. You know, I think the, uh, I mean, um, arguably, yeah. it's it's totally true. No, you don't need. I didn't need Claro. I did. I don't need anything. I just need the DAW really. But also, yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's nice to have some fun and just to enjoy the the um i suppose the gear aspect of our jobs as well uh it's it's if if you've of course if you've got the budget i mean you don't want to let it go too far and um you don't want to find yourself being um annoyed that or, or you don't want to use it as an excuse for why your music is not sounding good or why your sound effects are sounding you know very derivative and cliched it's not because you don't have that specific sample library or you don't have this compressor or you don't have that <laughs> piece of hardware outboard. It's not because of that. Uh, so you don't want to let it distract you from the creative challenge. Um, but uh, yeah, a little, a little bit of uh, uh, a little bit of retail therapy from time to time can be a healthy thing in, in moderation, I suppose. Well, I mean, yeah, the retail therapy can be good. Uh, sometimes you just need to play a game, and uh, yeah, that's I, I, right. Yeah, like, uh, I've actually been trying to do that lately. Um, one thing that I've noticed is that um, I will be sitting in front of my computer, and before I know it, thirty minutes or an hour has passed, and I realized, oh wait, I have actually not really been functioning or productive for the last thirty minutes or an hour. Mm. Uh, okay. What am I doing here? I'm just sort of letting things fester. Am I? Am I? Am I just sort of not doing any sort of moves in order to get past a particular programming issue or a particular music issue or or whatnot? So what am I doing? And actually, my wife suggested, "What? What if you play some mobile games again?" And uh, <laughs> be, because actually, for a long time. I had games on my phone, partly because right. it was my job, quite honestly. Uh, yeah. Yes, I am I working mean, what, on, it, these, it, on these mobile games, but I used to actually work for specifically a large mobile game company that made a large variety of games. And okay, so like right. being aware of all these different types of games, whether it be these uh, match three puzzle games or these hidden object games or these mm. 3D action games and all those different genres. So I had all these games actually installed on my phone and I would sometimes play them. And I realized, uh, I think I'm spending a little bit too much time on this. So I got rid mm. of all of them from my personal device. Okay. And then... I realized, wait, I actually have no other sort of time wasters on my phone except for things like social media, you know, you right. your that's, Twitter that's and the Instagram. And, yeah. yeah, same as me, actually. Yeah, I, I actually haven't played a game on my phone in a long time. Mm. Yeah, but but it's increasingly becoming the game console for a, a whole generation of people, you know? People are right. playing uh, Fortnite and the only place they're playing it is on their phone, not on the computer, mm. not on game consoles. They're playing it on their phone. Um, yeah, certainly my children fall into this category, which is a yeah. That's a. I think any any listeners out there who are parents will be able to relate to this. The the whole uh, playing games on the phone and screen time and managing that is is it's a. Oh boy, yeah. Anyway, yeah. sorry parents, sorry parents. You know you know what I'm talking about, parents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, go on. 
Yeah, so, well, I've just been trying to actually play some more of these games or, or like have a couple more of these games as part of my time at my desk, ostensibly working. But mm. hey, what, what am I doing? Well, I'm getting back into knowing what's going on there in the larger right. world of games. And it could right. be things like, right, uh, Vampire Survivor is doing some new DLC stuff in order to extend their ridiculous run. Or, hey, right. here's this new 3D action game that I haven't played before called um, Ether Gazer. Uh, all right. Mm, okay. It kind of looks like um, a Devil May Cry type of fast action game. It's got the cute cell shaded anime girls and all that. Okay. You know, let, let's try these things. Um, and sometimes those things are pretty darn useful. I think back in the day when I was working for this big company, I was like, ah, oh, yes, I've got to research all these things. I got to do that hours and hours and hours of the day. Right. Um, and now I'm trying to get back into, oh, right, 30 minutes or an hour of just getting a feel for some of the new mobile games that are out there right now is pretty darn useful. And getting some different sounds in your head besides the projects that you're working on is a mm. really good thing. I, I'm just relearning right. that. Like here's a little bit of uh, of something that I'm doing for my workflow in addition to the big stuff of, okay, I got to move everything over to my Mac. But but this thing here as well has been actually pretty useful. But don't don't you find it's hard to break away? Like don't you get sort of consumed by the game and then you, you end up kind of losing time to it instead? Um, sometimes. I would say that it, one, it does help that I actually don't like that many games. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, I like quite honestly, I don't really have. I, I'm pretty good when it comes to the whole addictive personality thing. Um, there right. aren't that many games that I really, really dive into. Um, okay. And thankfully, some of the games that I do often have some very good um, barriers or walls in place. No, okay. no, that's not the right right word, but you you know, they like have really pacing. good stopping points where I'm like, yeah, oh, see. yes, yeah. I can do that and it will be fine. So right. a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned Humanity, which is this really cool PlayStation VR yeah. puzzle 3D game. Very cool. That's the, uh, that's the one with the little, the little dog leading all the people around, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's yeah, yeah, very yeah. fun. And, it looks amazing. And you could just play a level, you know, because it's, mm. it's like oh, I'm going to do this puzzle and I'll be good. Or similar mm. to back in the day when I was going through a Sudoku kick. Uh, I'm going right. to play some Sudoku or I'm going to spend some time with the crossword puzzle. I'm going to play this level. Even some other games, uh, things like uh, I mentioned Vampire Survivors. Uh, I've been sort of getting back into that because um, I played that a while ago. And then people have been talking about it lately because there's new stuff coming out. And I thought, okay, maybe I should actually further explore this game. Um, mm. As involving as that game is with sort of a, a ridiculous sort of mechanic that is really nicely designed in terms of the sheer scale of it. Uh, right. It has, again, that really nice breaking point because you don't have to go or you can't go more than 30 minutes when playing a level or doing a run. Oh, okay. Um, right, right. You know, or even games like Hades, like, are you going to do a run? Well, there's a certain time limit on that. You know, you finish your run and then that's it. 
So right. I think it is, it's pretty cool as long as you adhere to that. And I think a lot of games are doing a good job of, of creating these uh, places that let you adhere to a good solid schedule for your uh, productive workday even. Yeah, you know, this is really interesting because um, uh, I've often been thinking recently, you know, I think many uh, of our listeners would be able to relate to this, but when you spend all day making, you know, working on a game project or making music, etc., when you spend all day doing that, when the day is over, the least thing that you want to do, or for me at least, is play another game. <laughs> it's just <laughs> like... It's like, you know, if you spend all day writing, uh, just today at this midsummer um, uh, party that I went to, I was talking to this uh, other nice person there and he was asking me, he's a, he's a um, construction engineer uh, mm -hmm. and he was, we were talking about my job and I was saying, oh yeah, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a music producer for video games. And he said, oh, cool. Uh, he said, like, you do, I understand you do your own work, but do you also work on your own personal stuff on the side? <laughs> and it just felt like, ah, oh, well, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to, I really want to, but the reality is, is that when you spend all day writing music, at the end of the day, you know, you go, you have, di in my case, I have dinner with my family, and then I spend some time with my kids, and then they go to bed, and I come down, sit in front of my computer, and the last thing that I want to do is write music. <laughs> I do not want to write music. Yeah. I want to do, it. and it's the same thing with games. If you're building a game and you're working in Unity, and there's and you, you, you're playing it, you're testing game features, especially because we do VR games, you know, at the end of the day, when I've got my own personal time to unwind, the last thing I want to do is play a, vi a video game. And so I've been thinking recently, you know, the problem with this is that really, yeah, you, you, you're, why should, like, if we need to play games to understand games better and to sort of see what's going on in the market and obviously video games are cool and they're great. That's why we started doing this job in the first place. You know, why should we have to do that outside of hours? Like, shouldn't that be something <laughs> that we, it's kind of part of our job in a way to go through the emotional, emotional journey that video games take us on or to be stimulated in some way or to be thinking about mechanics or just, you know, understanding fun and entertainment um, and, you know, user retention and all those kinds of things it's our job to understand yeah. those things, which means we have to experience and experience those things. But then why should we be expected to do that outside of ours? So that's mm -hmm. the reason I asked about how you go with, you know, the, you know, you just, just can't put it down. You know, you just want to keep on playing more and more because for example, in, in my company in moon mode, if we said, okay, everybody, you know, feel free to use your work time to play whatever video games you want. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, that's kind of a logical choice because it's like, well, yeah, I mean, we make video games, so we've got to learn to understand them. We have to play a broad variety of them. But then on the other hand, it's like, well, you know, I mean, <laughs> uh, you're not going to be getting much work done if you're spending, you know, two or three hours playing mm -hmm. like, I don't know, Cyberpunk 2077. Oh, it's lunchtime already. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like, yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Right. The, the flip side of that, and I, I think... This is, I figured out a more elegant way of talking about some of the things that I was sort of long winded about earlier. But I had this anxiety during ostensibly my free time about not wanting to play a video game. It's like, right, oh, right. why don't I want to play a video game? Shouldn't yeah. I, as a person who is actually passionate about video games, want yeah. to play video games during my free time? And so yeah, that's exactly. why, yeah, that's why I made this a decision. 
And I think so far it's been a really good move to, yeah, let me schedule some time to play games or allow myself to play games because those are good things to do during the middle of the workday. Yeah, um, I think I think you're onto something there, Vince. Actually, one of the other questions, one of the other people I met today, he loves video games. He says, oh, what are you playing, Alex? And I kind of sheepishly embarrassed, em- embarrassingly admitted, well, actually, I'm kind of not playing anything because, you know, and I made the excuse that you usually make is like, well, you know, when you when you develop video games for a living, the last thing you want to do in your free time is play more video games. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, just like you said, just there, Vince, you, you just that kind of that kind of hit the bullseye right there. That actually, it is a kind of an anxiety. It's like, well, yeah, like I am I getting behind the industry, not understanding these things because I don't feel like playing games outside of working hours and within mm-hmm. working hours, I feel guilty about doing that. So. Yeah, I think you're onto something there. Yeah, so it's been pretty good for me lately playing some of these games, even in these older games. Um, actually, you know, since we're on this topic, does this mean we're on to? Are we in the conspicuous consumption part of the show already? I mean, I think that's a that's a natural and beautiful segue right there, Vince. All right, I think we are. <laughs> I've already mentioned some of the games that I've been playing, and I can talk about them later. But what about you? Is there anything that you've been playing or listening to lately? Well, hey, Vince, you know when you develop video games every day, <laughs> the last ah. thing you want to do, yeah, there it is. Okay, there it is. okay, there it is. No, unfortunately, I haven't been um, uh, playing any games recently. I'm sorry to say, uh, I'm maybe on Monday just before lunch. Maybe that might be a good time to f- pick up something new um mm. in terms of consumption overall though um <laughs> i've been i've been listening to the most unusual thing which my son put me onto uh mm. and this is like as i said i've been pretty going pretty heavy on the music production this week um but during times that i'm not working on my own music um i've actually found on the recommendation from my son that apple music because we we subscribe to Apple Music, Apple Music's um, sleep playlists, like oh. the they have this they have this playlist called Sleep. There's actually multiple playlists that Apple Music have called Sleep, and basically they're they're play, playlists of ambient music. It's like you know a yoga studio or hmm. <laughs> or like a massage parlor or you know meditation lounge. Um, uh, kind of music so uh yeah basically um a whole lot of major sevenths and <laughs> and and like uh, yeah. you know long lush reverb pads and stuff like that um uh my son said oh dad you should try listening to apple's sleep playlist it actually really makes the room feel much cooler cooler and yeah and he's right it's like when you have this kind of ambient music it's sort of a, I mean, it's it's proper ambient music, so it's it's sort of pretty nothing. I mean, it's just a vibe, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, um, uh, and this is obviously the the, the genre of ambient music, and I like ambient music. I find it quite beautiful, but mm-hmm. it is so soothing. And he's right though. When you put it on, it it sort of cools down the room somehow. <laughs> it wow. just, I don't know. It just makes you feel very relaxed and very kind of calm. Maybe then, I don't know, maybe your body cools down because of that and then just things start feeling cool. So, yeah, during the, the when I've been working on business stuff uh, instead of working on the, the music production, I've just sort of, ah, oh, I want to listen to something, but I can't be bothered going looking for something. So I'll just put on like the Apple Music Sleep playlist 
and uh, it's been really good. It's very soothing, <laughs> hmm. funnily enough. So, uh, yeah, that, I, I don't know if that's conspicuously consuming. I suppose it is in a way, but, uh, yeah, it's been an interesting discovery. So there you go. If you're looking for something relaxing and, and it's summer in your part of the world and you want to just sort of cool the room down a bit and uh, chill out, then I can highly recommend the uh, – I'm sure Spotify has got loads of uh, – you know, music designed for sleep. So, uh, uh, yeah, check it out. And uh, how about you, yeah. Vince? What have you been consuming? So, um, yeah, I basically mentioned some of these games already. Um, first of all, I've been playing some of these mobile games, and it's not just on my phone. I've actually been playing them as sort of a, a combo of stuff because I decided to buy this Backbone mobile gaming controller uh, that you can sort of snap your phone into, and it turns into mm. this thing that is kind of almost the shape of a of a Switch or, or something. I mean, what with how big phones are these days, right? Uh, right. But, you know, you've got this nice controller, and I figured I would try out some of these 3D games that are available for mobile phones because they look good. Um, so, um, right now I'm playing this one called, uh, ether gazer, which is yeah. something which has some sort of weird sci-fi story and it's got the, the usual thing, which is the, the cell shaded cute anime girl character sort of kicking ass with guns and swords and all that, you know, <laughs> okay. very, I mean, it's, it's such a trope these days and you can't get out of it. It seems like there's so many games that are specifically that but they do control really well and they often do interesting things when it comes to mechanics and systems for how you upgrade the characters which are really important when it comes to both making a game that feels good as well as making a game that lasts ostensibly i'm researching this thing but it yeah, it actually has a pretty good feel to it i don't think i'm really wanting to play that on my free time Honestly, uh, it, it's it's mm. but it is a pretty good feeling game, uh, both using the touchscreen as well as using the controller, which is kind of the thing I was interested in because I'm so used to controllers. You know, I, I'm, I'm a PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo guy, so I like controllers. But, uh, you know, obviously so many people play with just the touchscreen. But there are other games that are very, very touchscreen oriented, and I don't think I've ever mentioned it on the show before, but I'll go back into it now. Um, this game called Vampire Survivors, which kind of became really a, a quiet indie hit, uh, such that it's on Xbox Game Pass. Apparently, there's a Netflix deal to actually make this into a TV show. It was such a hit. And wow. all you do is you play this action game where you're moving around with your little 2D sprite of a character. Everything is very much in that 90s sort of uh, vibe of pixel mm. art, except... Sort of the 16-bit era. Yeah, sort of 16-bit era, uh, except for the fact that you've just got hundreds and thousands of enemies that you eventually have to be able to survive against. You, so I'm, there I'm, just is look, no, I'm just looking at the, it looks like a bullet hell game. It looks like a bullet hell game. Uh, the big thing is that you can't actively hit a button in order to do any sort of attacks. 
all oh, of okay. your things, your attacks that fend off the enemies, they just sort of happen automatically. And you can, you know, run across pickups that give you different weapons or upgraded weapons where you throw or toss or bounce things around. It, th- those things are cool. But the only thing that you can do is actually move around the screen. And it's oh, okay. actually kind of funny how this game uh, actually went to consoles first before it went to mobile, where it's actually a really nice fit because all you're doing is moving across the screen as opposed to having to tap a button or even a virtual button. Um, That's interesting. It's it's a lot. I don't know if you've played any uh, um, bullet hell games on mobile platforms because they are the same because obviously in, in bullet hell games, obviously, um, you know, shooting on a mobile platform, they're usually, it's just constantly Usually firing. automatic, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and so all you're basically doing is just moving your ship, uh, weaving in and out of the, you know, the curtains of uh, of bullets, and um, uh, the, the firing is automatic. So it's sort of similar like that, because the firing is automatic, and you just, all you do is just drag to avoid uh, in all the, this, you know, the lattice work of, uh, of Danmaku um, coming mm-hmm. at you. So it, it looks like it's sort of inspired by that, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, I think it's probably inspired by that, uh, among other things. Uh, it mm. certainly has um, a lot of inspiration from Castlevania, that old school right. game for the things like the weapons design and the names of characters. You could see clearly, oh yeah, they were having fun just sort of making little parodistic riffs of mm. Castlevania characters and entities and other elements. Um, but it's a pretty fun game, and it's really interesting how this game... Uh, for uh, a small indie game has really become kind of a hit and is still going to come out with further updates. Um, I think it's a Netflix deal. I'm just going to make sure about that. Uh, wow, Vampire that's amazing. Survivors. And yeah, it was announced a couple months ago. Vampire Survivors is being adapted into an animated series um, <laughs> with with collaboration from the creators of the John Wick franchise? What the oh, okay. heck? <laughs> so, so yeah, indie games, yeah, man. What the, what the heck? Yeah. So it, it is yeah. really cool that um, from a sound perspective, it is also interesting seeing what happens here because you are dealing with thousands and thousands of enemies on the screen, right. slightly off the screen. And... Um, you know, when you're dealing with that much stuff, you do have to make some decisions when it comes to how you actually mix your how you actually mix the soundscape. Like, yeah, do you actually sure. have heuristics in place for just cutting off sounds or just refusing to allow them to make a sound? Um, is mm. it happening just with what's available in your in your editor? So like on the sound event level, or are you doing some other stuff that is on the bus level on the, or are you doing some weird sort of custom stuff in code? Um, whenever I look at that, I think about certain uh, weapons. It's like, oh, hey, that weapon has a sound to it. And then you sort of stop listening to it for a while. And then you mm, realize right. at, at a certain point, you're really not hearing that thing at all. Like all of these things actually have some very distinct sounds, some more distinct than others. Uh, and then after a while, it just becomes the general cacophony of mm. the the general cacophony of weapons and enemies being thrown across the screen as you try to just barely survive. It's, yeah, it's it looks, kind of fun to think fair. about. 
Yeah, cool. Nice recommendation. Yeah. So I guess with that, has it been an hour? Wow, it's actually been well over an hour, which means it's time to call this an episode. Uh, This was episode 246 of the Game Audio Hour. If you liked what you heard, feel free to support us by subscribing to us at your podcast purveyor of choice and leaving us a review to keep us in the forefront of the algorithm. You can also follow us on Twitter at Game Audio Hour, where we post notices about future episodes, as well as try to support some other fun and positive voices out there in the Twitterverse. And of course, the easy way to do all of this without having to remember any of what I said in the last minute is to go to GameAudioHour.com. So go ahead and do that while I finally, finally connect my audio interface to the Mac. I'm doing it today. It's going to happen. I'm going to just blast through my anxiety about moving to the Mac. It's it's going to be my main machine. YOLO. YOLO. Do it. Oh, man. Hey, are you going to do it? That that, that means Mike will be a Mac user. I'll be a Mac user. What what about you, Alex? There's kind of already a Mac user for the business stuff, so can I be like half in in the cool, cool guys club? Uh, you gotta go all the way. When you're a Mac, you're a Mac all the way. From your first cigarette to your sign day. No, no. I had to do some musical reference because Mike's not here.